Hey folks, welcome to Machine Repeat Podcast, episode number 15. I want to thank you for stopping by and uh, sharing your valuable time with us. I think you're really going to enjoy today's episode. Man, if you love Alice Chalmers and Alice Chalmers tractors and history, it's the most amazing conversation I've ever had with anybody on this topic. Uh, we're going to visit with Tim Brannon. He's the owner of B&G Equipment Incorporated on Agco, Massey, Ferguson dealer down in Paris, Tennessee. But Tim is just a fountain of knowledge on Alice Chalmers' history. Lived it, worked right through it. He became a dealer in 1978. You know you're going to love the conversation. Uh, now, before we get into that fun talk with Tim, first off, we need to thank our sponsors at Case IH, uh, making this podcast possible. Uh, definitely stop in and visit your local Case IH dealer. Uh, check out all their uh, equipment solutions to help you get done on the farm what you need to. And also, you know, Case IH dealers have a great selection of used equipment. As you're looking at what you need equipment for 2020, uh, give them a call. Tell them Machine Repeat sent you. And now again, before we start our, our guest interview this week, we like to spotlight a tractor on every episode. And being that we're going to be talking to Alice Chalmers today, We'll stay on that theme, and we'll stay with the orange color. And let's talk about the Alice uh, 7080 model. Now, if you follow our Machine Repeat Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you maybe saw uh, just a couple days ago I posted a feature, a for sale by owner, 1981 Alice Chalmers 7080 two-wheel drive. Just a beautiful tractor. looks like new. Now, this thing has 8,195 hours on it, but only two hours on a complete engine overhaul. And it's for sale by Craig Vries. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Craig is a farmer in southeast Minnesota, I believe in Spring Valley, a beautiful community just down the road from me in Rochester. And Craig is asking 18000 for the 7080. And like I say, it's like about the nicest, well, I'll say it's about the second nicest one I've ever seen. It's a one-owner tractor, been in the family since new. Uh, dino's out at 210 horsepower. Uh, the only reason Craig is selling is he, they sold the dairy cows and he doesn't need the tractor anymore. So on the Facebook post the other day, oh my gosh, I mean, just went crazy. We had over 600 likes on it, 98 comments. Um, so the you know, this was really stirring up a lot of interest. Um, I think there were 43 shares of the post. Uh, the post itself reached over 48,000 people in half a day on Facebook. Uh, 600 folks clicked on the link to the for sale by owner in machinerypeat.com and same on Twitter. Just amazing uh, number of folks there interacting. Uh, so check that out, folks. Uh, again, Craig Vries has this 7080 for sale, for sale by owner at machinerypeat.com. And you can actually list uh, your equipment items for sale. Uh, we added this feature last year. Wanted to help you guys out when you have a piece or two for sale and uh, for sale but private situation works better. We want to get lots of eyeballs on it for you. Uh, so list it, drop me a note, tell me it listed it. We can try to get a little more uh, promo on so our Machine Repeat social media for you. Now, on seven, on the topic of 7080s, um, if I looked at the last 16 of them that I've seen sold at auction, the average price, just under $4,900, 4898 and I've seen them as high as 10600 and as low as 1500 on the rough side. Again, that's the past couple of years. Uh, if we go back uh, f three and a half years, the highest price 7080 I've ever seen at auction, I went for 17100 bucks. That was on the famous 
August 22nd, 2016, uh, sale, uh, state sale for Don Finetti in Menominee, Wisconsin. Now, again, if you love Alice Chalmers tractors, folks, and you haven't seen that Machine Repeat YouTube video, just please go to YouTube, type Machine Repeat, Alice Chalmers tractor, Wisconsin, and you're going to see a link to the Don Finetti a preview of that video. Don's Alice Chalmer tractor collection was unprecedented. Just incredible. I think we got almost 300,000 views on that video. His uh, his farm manager for years, Chris Liebel, uh, walked us up and down the line, told us about every tractor, including a 1985 model Alice, uh, Alice 6070. Only 29 hours on it. Okay, that's amazing enough, but folks, that was the last Alice Chalmers tractor ever to roll off the line. And to stand there and look at it and walk around it, again, you can do that in the video. But again, on that sale, there was a, a 7080 that sold for $17,100. Uh, the next highest one I, I've ever seen at auction was 15500 way back on St. Patrick's Day 2001 in Okaville, Illinois. And that 7080 had 2,023 hours on it. Okay, enough of that. Now let's get to this conversation with Tim Brannon. I met Tim uh, in Jan end of January 2020. I was speaking at Murray State University. Uh, his brother, Tony Brannon, is the dean at the Hudson School of Agriculture at Murray State. And I tell you, they have an incredible ag program there. If you got kids that want to, and they're looking to go into a great ag program, look at Murray State. It is an amazing program. Again, Tony uh, Brandon is the dean, and his brother Tim, again, is the owner of B&G Equipment in Paris, Tennessee, and is the most knowledgeable Alice Chalmers tractor agco guy I've ever run across. So let's go to that conversation now. Still using biased tires? Use your chance to upgrade to radial. This spring, Firestone Ag is making it easy with farm hard rewards. Just head to your local certified Firestone Ag tire dealer between now and April 30th and get discounts as big as $200 per tire when you buy two or more eligible Firestone radial tires. Terms, conditions, and limitations apply. Visit FirestoneAg.com for more details. Hey folks, I'm happy to welcome our guest this week, uh, Tim Brannon. Uh, Tim is the owner of B&G Equipment Incorporated, uh, Echo dealer in Paris, Tennessee. Tim, welcome to the show. Yeah, well, it's so fun when we got connected at the uh, at the soybean promotion day at Murray State. There, uh, we got visiting, and your, your brother Tony, uh, gosh, quite a guy running the the egg program at Murray State. There, that was a fun day. Yes, um, Doctor Brandon, we always kid that uh, we're so proud of him and the family. He's the first doctor. Of course, he's not the kind of doctor that can do anybody any good, <laughs> but <laughs> he's an agricultural doctor. And I always tell the story that uh, we're so proud of him because, you know, he was adopted at an early age. And um, unfortunately, the family brought him back to us. My Brandon story. So. Well, Tim, I was visiting with Tony after, after the event, which was super fun. An awesome egg program there at Murray State. And Tony said, you know, Pete, you got to talk to my brother, Tim. And I was glad we got connected. Now, folks, we're going to talk the history, Alice Chalmers and Agco here. And again, let's let's back this up, Tim. So now you, where did you grow up, you and Tony? We grew up on a farm in northwest Tennessee, right where that line goes 
across the top of Tennessee and Kentucky. Okay. And we had a family farm. Uh, it had every livestock known to man and just about every crop known to man. Okay. Uh, we were very diversified. And the uh, it came down to uh, a tobacco farm. And tobacco, dark fire tobacco, is very unique to North Henry County and West Kentucky. That is uh, wrapper tobacco that if you get a premium, it wraps cigars with it. And, but most of it goes to chewing tobacco and snuff. It um, has to be cured in a barn in smoke. It's more of an art than it is a science. And it's a, it's been handed down to generations. But it is a crop that, uh, well, I think production was cut 50% last year. And that's down from um, uh, whatever it was before. It's a crop that's on its waning days. Mm. That, but that was the... That was kind of the, the major crop that your farm uh, arrived on back when you and Tony were growing up? Yes, uh, tobacco lifted the mortgages of uh, many crops, uh, okay. excuse me, many farms. Sure. It was the crop that lifted the mortgage. It was the cash crop. And the rest of um, the crops were just like it is today, marginally profitable. Right. But as the years went on, it became less and less profitable. Okay. So what kind of farm equipment was on the farm when you and Tony were growing up there? Well, we did have one John Deere manure spreader, but everything else was just about uh, Alice Chalmers. <laughs> and um, we had uh, all crop combines and then switched over from that to Glinger combines. Okay. So I guess the transition from my uh, boyhood to uh, going to work for Alice Chalmers was a niche that uh, had to be filled, it seems. Right. Now, who was the dealer back where you guys grew up that, that your family bought the Alice equipment from? Do you remember? In the early, uh, late 40s, early 50s, there was Chinnyworth Implement, and then it went from Chinnyworth Implement to Pascal Equipment Sales. Okay. And Edgar Lee Pascal still works for us and on a part-time basis, and he has a straw operation with our farm, and he is a bivocational pastor in Calvert City, Kentucky. Oh. And then it went from Pascal Equipment Sales to Austin Equipment, and it was owned by Jim Austin, and then we purchased it in 1978 with a partner, Steve Gallimore, okay. <laughs> who is now a pastor so i don't know maybe there's some connection there that <laughs> I, I may have um, uh, been a part of the, in the in the good lord's plan so wow. anyway that's the history of it and now it's bng equipment that stood for brandon and gallimore gotcha. so you but actually now, it's just myself so you actually wound up buying and running the dealership that you bought your family bought the equipment from as a kid huh that is awesome oh uh, yeah Cool, huh? <laughs> that is very cool, Tim. Now, now you went to Murray State. When when did you graduate from the egg program there? Nineteen seventy-five. Okay, so seventy-five, and then you went right to work for Alice Chalmers. Yes, sir. Okay, so what did as a young buck working for Alice? What were you doing? I was a product rep, um, which meant that I was a trainee and a rookie, and I did just about everything that else wanted to do <laughs> and as uh, my knowledge of engines 
and uh, the workings uh, I became a sales uh, product rep for the engine uh, mostly going around traveling and talking about Alice Chalmers engines and then uh, they had a cutaway of a tractor that was pulled behind an orange ton and a half pickup truck on a trailer huh. and it was oh it, it was a horrible job because that thing was a hemorrhoid maker I'm telling you <laughs> <laughs>
through all the county fairs or anybody that requested it. And it was not an Alice Chalmers promotion film, but of course they used Alice Chalmers equipment in the landscape. Sure. But it was a tribute to America and the American farmer and the part he played in building the nation. So that was really good. And I got to travel with that a time or two. And then I actually got to haul some of the uh, girls around. And we traveled in just about every dealership in the, the United States. Wow. And mostly I was mostly I was in the, from east of the Mississippi, but we did go over as far as Texas. Okay. So um, that sounds like, um, you know, a dream job, I promise you. <laughs> there was nothing romantic about it. <laughs> so this was the... Setting up those, this was the Alice Chalmers Expo Circuit? Yes. Okay. Yeah, the work involved was setting up and breaking down and moving on to the next. That must have just been incredible, Tim. We had six slide projectors with two backups, two sets of slides. We had two movie projectors, and they had what they called dissolve units, so that when one slide projector changed to the other, it would fade one in and fade out. And mm. um Let's see, what did they call us? Um, fumble fingered button pushers or some kind of acronym. <laughs> sometimes it's hard to keep up with them, but anyway, it, uh, it was a challenge. Oh. And we got to see a lot of people in a lot of different places. How long were you on the circuit, that, that expo circuit, Tim? It was two summers. Okay. Um, it was two summers I did that. Um, okay. You know, uh, uh, different different girls. I spent most of the time with uh, Marion Burgess, who was 1975 Miss Tennessee. Uh -huh. um, beautiful redheaded young lady that um, um, was engaged to a lineman at Memphis State University. Mm. Oh. <laughs> so, wow. Man, I got to hear all the bad things of, of a romantic relationship. <laughs> oh, yeah. Always that. You know, you don't have to about as far as I want to go with that. Yeah. Okay. We'll go a different direction, Tim. But, hey, do you, do you know, is there any existing film of, of the song and dance routine back from the 70s at these, at these shows? piece of history that's uh i would have loved to have been there to have seen that uh now what happened to the alice the 7000 series cutaway tractor is that still around somewhere uh that was cut up for scrap i'm sure oh, uh sold okay. scrap it was a they had a cutaway of a 426 engine the one used in the 7000 series uh 70 30 on up okay. and it was chromed and cut away and they had chrome gears and the transmission and they had the power director and power shift transmission and the lift right. arms and all that was mounted in a trailer 
flavor. And then some genius decided that it would be good if we put a John Deere planetary and a John Deere axle in to uh, augment the display. And then somebody decided that, well, if we're going to do that, let's put a competitive international. And it kept loading this thing on there until it was almost impossible to pull. Uh, You've got a ton and a half track pickup truck pulling this Mm. basically a tractor in a in a trailer and it was always funny the planetary system on the alice chambers dwarfed the planetary system on the john deere and when the john deere people were asked about it they said we use better steel we don't have to build it that big (laughs) 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 and uh, international at that time were using a lot of bull gear, so the, we had a bull gear, an international bull gear and pinion in there. Mm. So uh, the, the salespeople thought it was from up at um, north uh, at Milwaukee. Thought this was great. Those <laughs> of us that had to pull this thing around, wow. <laughs> I think the idea was so great. <laughs> a hernia maker. We huh? wish that we could. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we And then we had, um, you were asking about uh, Alice Chalmers, uh, where they got to. Are you ready to go into that? Yeah, Um, yeah, absolutely. Let's let's talk about, well, Well, uh, go go ahead, Tim. Well, Alice Chalmers, of course, started back in 1860 uh, with Edward T. Alice, and then Tom Chalmers came along in 1901, and of course the first AC tractor was in 1917, and right after that uh, there was a lot of competition as, uh, boy, this thing was really ramping up, and it's using uh, big iron, big slow-moving tractors to pull uh, implements in the field to replace the horse. One of the biggest competition was Ford with the Fordson, and Ford discontinued the tractor in 1928, and that left a huge hole in the market as Henry Ford exited the tractor business. And there was many firms that were around building implements for this Fordson tractor, including the Gleaner Baldwin Combine, which was built uh, on top of a Fordson tractor Hmm. way back in 1923. And so all these companies were all of a sudden left without a tractor for all these implements to be used on. So they all got together and designed a tractor and called it the United Tractor. Well, too many cooks spoiled the cake, and the long story short, the United U become the model U, Alice Chalmers, as mm-hmm. Alice Chalmers took that over. Okay. And then in 1932, of course, all this was on steel wheels. In 1932, Alice worked with Firestone, and they became the first company to put rubber tires on a tractor. Mm. Now, there's an interesting story behind that, and I cannot verify this, but this was the rumor that was told around that all of these uh, companies, tire companies at that time, were approached by Alice Chalmers, and they had this idea of putting rubber tires on tractors. They were laughed off of the market. Most of the guys were just, they wouldn't even give them an audience to it. But Firestone did, and they managed to mount an airplane tire on this model um, U. Well, the 
they, um, the problem was that this was, you got to realize this was early technology. Nobody had ever put a rubber tire on a tractor. And so they put this tire on, and it was a miserable failure. It wouldn't pull, it would spin, because it was just an airplane tire. Well, somebody said, well, I bet they cut grooves in it, didn't they? No. One of the engineers, it was told, which got up in the middle of the night, and he had this epiphany, (laughs) Mm. if you want to call it that. And he went out, and he took the 145 PSI tire, took it down to about... 12 or 14 pounds and all of a sudden it worked it mm. pulled it out pulled the steel it uh, rode better and all of the rest is basically history as they say right. um of course all all tractor tires are, are recaps and so they took this tractor and they put a, a lugged tire on the outset as a as kind of a recap on the new tire and you remember the old tractor tires they weren't the same tread design to today but by having a raised tread it made them uh, pull a whole lot better and especially in softer ground so to promote that they actually uh, put them on tractors and they would take these tractors to county fairs and pull a plow on the infield and then most of the county fairs had a racetrack around it and then they would race tractors they would race tractors and they had Sixty miles, sixty, seventy miles an hour. Yes, yes, wow. and uh, for many years, the Alice Chalmers held the land speed record with that. Now, mm. I guarantee you one thing: this old boy would not drive one at sixty. <laughs> miles an hour. You wouldn't want to do uh, but, sixty on a WC. No, Come on. no, I could, I'd rather, I'd rather push the buttons for the girls singing and dancing about there the tractor. <laughs> Now, Tim, when I was looking at the history of Alice, one little tidbit that I didn't know or realize, but uh, Nikola Tesla actually worked for Alice back in late 19-teens. Yeah. <laughs> 
people on the egg side just vaguely aware of it but interesting to hear those stories and would it be accurate to say tim that through the difficult days of the 1930s the depression into the world war ii era that i mean as a company those were good years for alice chalmers growing I'm sorry. 
I apologize. We're going to feed you and put you up tonight, and then we apologize for wasting your time. And of course, all of them were laughing because everybody had harvesters in the works. Sure. It was one of the biggest coups that was ever played. After they left, they brought the dealers in. They brought out the other combine that was that worked and showed all the dealers and took orders and got a head start on all of the other companies. Harry, Harry, Harry Merritt was a trip now, I'm telling you. He, mm. he held no reserves in marketing, and, and he was a master of trying to get a one-up on everybody. But, yeah, that um, wow. during the, the war years, after that, they really grew. Uh, in the 50s, they bought Gleaner. In 1955, they bought Gleaner. And let's see, 53, I think they bought the Buddha engine. Mm. They had used General Motors or uh, Jimmy Diesel's. And they wanted their own engine company, so they bought Buddha engine out of Harvey, Illinois. Okay. And, of course, the 60s and 70s were really the heyday of Alice Chalmers. Right. Uh, they had the 100 series. They went from the D series to the 100 series to the uh, the really revolutionary tractor of the time was the 7000 series Alice. Mm. Uh, up until that time, even the shape of it, up until that time, everybody had cheese box hoods. Everybody had square hoods. Yep. And they come out with a slope, slope hood tractor. Uh, for better visibility when the tractor got larger. So how many tractors today have sloped front hoods? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you know, no all kidding. of them, all of them. So, so Alice was the, the first one. Wow. Uh, the problem was down through the years, we talked about all these innovations. Greg, the, that is good to hang your hat on. But there was a guy named Walt Bisher who wrote a book called Plow Peddler. Yep. And I was fortunate enough to be able to talk to Walt and and, um, and glean a lot of information from him. The problem with being an innovative company is you spend millions of dollars in research and development. You come out with a product only to find that somebody else will steal your idea, get around the patent, and use it. Right. Um, that was one of Alice Chalmers' problems was they were a higher tech company than they were a sales company. Hmm. And I can say that because I was in the sales end of it, but we were a lot more into technology and we had this first and we invented this right. than we are we're in selling the actual product. But uh, so being innovation, being an innovator does have its price tag. Right. If you don't capitalize on it immediately, your competition will rip reap the benefit with no research and defense costs to have to recoup. So that was one of the problems that Alice Chalmers had. It's kind of like... And, uh, of course, they felt... Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say a little bit like Steve Jobs and Apple. Don't have to be the first, but exactly. just do it better once someone else has the idea. That's right, yes. Mm. That, is the, um, that is the reason why John Deere is the market leader today. was back during the 60s they had a a command of their dealers that you will reinvest your retained earnings in your business. You will not be a farmer. You will not be another businessman. You will be a John Deere dealer. All of the international, Alice Chalmers, Case, Massey dealers, they saw the farmers getting a lot of money, and they started farming themselves. And then when the 80s came, they were buy business people and so when it comes to have the difference between choosing the dealership or the farm 
uh, history proves that most of them went to the farm and closed the doors of the dealership. Mm. The deer dealers had nowhere left to go, and they had to stay and ride out the storm of the 80s. Mm. Uh, and most of them survived that. Interesting. But, now, um, do you, now, so on the yeah. 7,000 series tractor, that, that model series came out what year, Tim? That was really 73, 73. There were some of them on the ground in 72. I, I think I remember the December of 72, but 73 was the 7030 and 7050 model. Okay. So you would have and been. They uh, just built that. You would have been like in high school then? What do you remember when you first saw them? That would have been, uh, yes, I would have just graduated, I guess. Um, anyway, the. He looked at them and he go, "Oh, geez, <laughs> nobody really liked them. They were, oh, they said, oh man, what are you gonna do with this thing?'" And they were just ahead uh, of their time. It was just a different. It was just a different. But then when you got down to look at it, you said, uh, "Hey, look, uh, geez, this front end is pretty much indestructible." And then you said, uh, "It doesn't have a clutch in it. It's got a hydraulic clutch, no dry clutch." And then um, the had a 20-speed transmission, uh, which was most people were used to 8 and 12, and uh, it had a pressure flow compensated hydraulic system in it that was uh, tremendous hydraulics, but it didn't uh, use the horsepower of a closed-centered system. It had tremendous lift power, and uh, for the first time, fantastic brakes. Uh, we've got some tractors out uh, 50 years old that still have not had a brake put on them and still being used in farming. They just were amazingly, amazingly overbuilt tractors, um, which there again, you pay a price for when you build something um, too right. good. Right. But they had, they, had some, they had some issues that had to be corrected, but um, they're a lot better tractors today than when they first come out. Mm. <laughs> Sure. Uh, it was a long run of tractors. Uh, a lot of parts that fit in the very first 7030 were also common to the last 8070 right. that was built. Right. Well, Tim, let's, uh, unfortunately, let's tiptoe into the 1980s here and walk us through, you know, on the Alice side, sort of how, you know, the decade unfolded up to 85 uh, at that uh, momentous year. situation. 
And Scott said, of course, he swelled up with pride and said, sure. So they started taking money out of all of the projects, all of the companies, and putting into a coal gasification plant in Mount Joliet, Illinois. Mm. Now, that information comes from a conversation I had with John Johansson. Mr. John, uh, a man that I admire, was uh, president of Alice Chalmers Farm Equipment Division. He later went on to a case after um, sure. Alice Chalmers was sold. But he was talking about pulling all the money out of the Farm Equipment Division and they put in the coal gasification plant sure. in Mount Joliet, Illinois. Well, guess what? All of a sudden, Carter's out of office. There's not a glut of oil. There's a surplus of oil. Um, David C. Scott's running around Washington saying, hey guys, you know, we're still got this plant going and he couldn't get an audience and nobody would give him any money. Mm. Um, and so, as a result, it gutted the companies and now then they were into a really uh, not so good financial era again. And so they started selling things. They sold off the, sold off the Fiat Alice. Uh, they sold their Simplicity more. They sold their electrical division to Siemens. Uh, you know, Siemens is a big corporation today. They sold their electrical transformers and all of the uh, their branches off. And they finally uh, sold the AC farm division, Alice Chalmers Farm Division, to Klickner Humboldt Deutz or Deutz Alice. Yeah. And that was nineteen eighty five. Yes, and Deutz was interested in Alice Chalmers, not for their products, but for their dealer organization. They were looking to expand their farm equipment production, and they found a possibility with the dealer organization that Alice Chalmers had. So they bought it. They called the company Deutz Alice yep. and immediately started. They rebadged some of the tractors. Uh, the last 8,000 series, they came out with stickers to put over the Alice Chalmers that said Deutz Alice. Now, those of us who were Deutz Alice dealers, uh, we took our Kleenex and to wipe away the tears and we put the Deutz Alice decals and the big uh, spire of the dome in Cologne, uh, which was a symbol of KHD, or Deutz yep. Farm, and we covered up the Alice Chalmers and hmm. shed a few tears, but got back to work trying to sell those. And of course, they took down the tractor plant and destroyed all the tooling, and they instituted their equipment, and they had some good equipment, but it was not... It was not what the North American farmer wanted. Yeah. Uh, most of the smaller tractors were built like tanks, but the farmers didn't want to drive tanks. No, no. <laughs> um, and one of the interesting uh, satellites here is that uh, we did get to go. We were on the dealer council, and we won a sales incentive trip, and we got to sit down with some of the powers that be with KHD and tried to explain how we were dying over here with their product and it, it was the wrong color, it was the wrong features. And this transferred over until uh, Bob Ratliff became 
complaining about the features. Mm-hmm. The features are right. You just need to get your farmers to adapt our features. So they weren't listening. Of course, that didn't go over well. well no. Mm-hmm. Well, let's transfer back until Agco comes aboard. Okay. Now then, Agco is actually building tractors and shipping them to Germany for the German farmers. Mm. And the German farmers tell uh, Deutz over there that these tractors don't have the right features for us German farmers. Mm. And Bob Ratliff got to tell the head of PhD, <laughs> look, our tractors have the right features. You need to teach your German farmers how to use them. What <laughs> comes around goes around, huh? Wow. Uh, I love it. I love it. Okay, but, so... Yes. Uh, so Deut- now, the first... The first uh, the first manager of when that uh, merger or when that buyout took place, Bill Templeton, who was the head of Temp- uh, Tisco, yep. became the first head of of uh, Agco or excuse me, Adult Palace for okay. a while, okay. and then then the um, later on the management team of uh, what was the founders of Agco took over. And that was the, there were four guys there? Yes, there was actually five, and I uh, apologize for not knowing the name of the other one, but Ed Swingle was one, and okay. Ed was in the head of the sales, and he was, uh, Ed was hired about the same time I was. He was a product rep out of Batavia, and then um, Jim Sieber, who was one of the finance persons, and John Shimada. John Shimada was a uh, genius in engineering. Everybody that ever met him said that he was the smartest man they ever met mm. in engineering. And of course, Bob Ratliff, Uncle Bob, okay. uh, Robert Ratliff. Uh, he was one of the few people that anybody that bought an Agco product knew the name of Bob Ratliff. The, president of Agco, whether it was a combine or a tractor. Right. It was a new company, a new startup company. Uh, I guarantee you less than one-tenth of one percent of any of the competition knew the name who was the head of John Deere Case, whatever. Sure. But Bob Ratliff was a, uh, a iconic figurehead. Right. He was kind of the Horatio Alger story. Uh-huh. Um, who brought back a farm equipment company from the verge of extinction. And the Agco story is, is one of, uh, it's just a, one of amazement. Now, Agco was officially founded, those five fellows. What, so what year was that again, Tim? 90. 1990. Okay. So that period from 85 to 90 was just lots of pain and transition through the Deutz Alice brand? Yes, yes, okay. yes, exactly. Okay. Now, the way that they did this was they were a management team, and all of them have uh-huh. since passed. Um, but this management team came in, and they were managing Deutz Alice. Deutz Alice was not doing well, but they knew there was some potential there because this farm equipment was coming, a business was coming out of the depression of the 80s. Right. So Bob and his management team went to the Germans and they said, look, 
look, it's not good. You're going to have to do something because you can not survive under this mode of operation. Well, the Germans almost panicked, and they said, well, what are we going to do? And Bob and his group said, we will get you some bids. You need to sell it. And they said, well, we just started here. You know, this is not what we want to do. Yeah. And they said, look, we don't want to use the ugly term bankruptcy, but this may be in your future. Yeah. So they said, we'll get together some bids. So they got together some bids, which they knew were really low ball. And yeah. the Germans said, no, we can't do that. We can't do that. So then they said, well, there might be a management buyout offer. Would you accept this figure? And they said, we'll get it together and get us the details. So they got their legal team together and they made them an offer. And KHD, Deutsch Alice Company in North America, was sold to Bob Ratliff and John Shimada and Jim Savers and Ed Swingle and there was another investor there that wasn't part of the day-to-day management. And what, how they pulled this off was they mortgaged their houses, their boats, their swimming pools, whatever they had, their dogs, their firstborn. They mortgaged everything. And they got a bridge loan from Barclays Bank. And they took this money and paid off KHD. Okay. Now, they bought this at penny, pennies on the dollar. Sure. Then they had lined up, as soon as they got clear title to everything, Whirlpool Financial. And Whirlpool bought all of the assets in the field, the inventory, the tractors, the combines, at like, say, 80 cents on the dollar. Hmm. So from buying it at 40 cents on the dollar to selling it at 80 cents on the dollar as a receivable, all of a sudden, they put money in the bank, paid off everything, and they had ready to a roll. clear new company ready to go. Wow. And as they sold the equipment, they, they still had room to discount and to pay for the subsidized financing, and it was just a, a, a brilliant move. Wow. Now, as they did that, they looked around, and they said, well, if we did this with Deutsch Alice, are there any other potential markets out there? And mm-hmm. so, of course, the rest is history. They become acquiring different companies. They sure. bought a, a new idea company or white new idea. They bought uh, just well. I think there's something like thirty something different companies right. today. Right. Some of them, some of them, they didn't pay bargain basement price for, but a lot mm-hmm. of them they did because. There again, these companies were not making any money in the 80s, and they were really struggling to make it back in the 90s. And when they saw a way out for their either their stockholders or their owners, they were willing to say, hey, look, we've had enough of this farm equipment market. Let's right. just get out and cut, cut the apron strings. Right. And so they found it an easy market to buy in. Right. Now, the problem was it became a, a evident that you couldn't keep on buying companies to show a profit. At some point in time, you had to build your own product and start manufacturing and selling and making a profit on what you built. That was the biggest challenge that Agco had to learn. And they eventually, eventually did it. Now, 
Tim. So you got the, uh, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say you. So you got in the dealer biz in '78. You rode through all of this, all these changes. What the heck was that like? Oh yes, uh, oh I've got. Uh, I, I had to add on to the house to have closets to put all my hats in. <laughs> <You> know, we, <laughs> we changed names so often and had so many. Had to wear so many hats that it was almost um, almost a joke to see what color we would be today or who we would be purchasing today. Mm. I told you that Agco had to make a um, profit in what they sell. Yep. One of the funnier funnier stories is that all of us dealers were in Atlanta, and we were getting quite vocal uh, with Agco because they did not have a high horsepower power shift tractor. Okay. Well, we didn't know, but Bob Ratliff really didn't know at that time what a high horsepower power shift tractor was. Mm. <laughs> he was... Wow. He was the head of the company, but and nobody doubted uh, his wisdom, but uh, he did a lot of bluffing. So mm. the dealers were getting quite vocal about this, and Bob stood up in a meeting and said, wait a minute, guys, I know what you're looking for. And he said, I'm going to give you an option. He said, we've got a tractor that we can come out with possibly next year that just Oh, it's, it's just a Me Too tractor. It's like what everybody else has got. Mm-hmm. But if you will wait two years, if you'll wait two years, possibly three, we will have you a tractor that leapfrogs competition in technology and performance and reliability. Now, what do you want? A Me Too tractor next year, or do you want a couple of years and have something that leapfrogs competition? And he took a vote, a show of hands, and it was unanimous almost that uh, to wait for the better tractor. Okay. What we didn't know at that time was that Ed Swingle and John Shimato got in, up and left and went and stood at the back of the room. And while Bob was giving his spiel, with, uh, I mean, it was an excellent oratory, and he gave us confidence and pride that uh, we were knew what we were doing. Yep. They were standing at the back of the room, and Ed was taking his fingers to his nose and pulling it out like Pinocchio. Oh no! <laughs> at the end, yeah, at the end of the meeting, Bob came back to the two guys when all the dealers had left and said, "What are you two clowns doing?" And now those were my words, but right. um, uh, Swingle told me that um, he said, "Now where are you going to get this leapfrog technology tractor?" <laughs> No pressure, John.
and for $1.1 million came out with the 9600 series tractors. Mm. It was never been done in the industry before. Low, you know, it, it was just a, an engineering accomplishment due to the brilliance of John Shimada. Mm. Well, uh, Bob Ratliff told us the story that a year later, John Deere had a meeting and they had just come out with a new 18 or 19 speed transmission that they spent $44 million on in development. And they asked the question, how did Agco put a tractor on the market, a tractor line on the market for $1.1 million, and we spent $44 million on a transmission? Hmm. And the answer was, well, this is not comparing apples to apples. We took a clean sheet of paper and developed a transmission, and they bought it. And they said, well, who do they buy it from? They said, Funk Transmissions. And the chairman said, Heaven's Bells. They didn't use that word. He mm -hmm. said, Heaven's Bells. He said, We own Funk. You mean we just spent $44 million reinventing what we already had on the table that our competition is using against us? And it pretty much wiped out a whole level of management. Oh. And there the story goes. Oh. But um, Amazing. that is um, how we got the 9000 series. Wow. Now, uh, platform of, of tractors. Now, Tim, let's talk about, I mean, I've been covering auctions 30 years. I go around, even yesterday on Facebook and Twitter, I posted a picture of an Alice 7080 beautiful tractor for sale. And that color, when that orange went away, what, what was that like as a dealer and your customers? What was everyone, what was that like? anything that would be far from honest if it didn't hurt. Of course, you realize I had roots that run deep with the old Alice Chalmers company. So therefore, I have a prejudiced view. And the company made the decision to go to a two-brand strategy. And it was not a smooth transition. It could have been done a whole lot better. But the fact was that things change. Right. And as I look back, you know, you always have to rationalize decisions in order to live with yourself. You know right. what I mean? Right. <laughs> no matter if it's figuring out figuring out uh, your relationship with your mother-in-law or your tractor line. <laughs> you, know, you have to rationalize a lot of things. Yes. <laughs> so, um, and um, yeah, we'll probably get another good phone call from my mother-in-law now. But Sorry, anyway, buddy. The, uh, yeah, the tractor, uh, if you look at the history of Alice Chalmers, from Edward P. Alice to the Tom Chalmers uh, Reliance uh, Ironworks, Alice Chalmers has been a continuum of ebb and flow of companies that went bankrupt, companies that were bought. Alice Chalmers and Agco uh, is a continuation of the evolution of the company. And anytime you, you, you see a product and you think that there's some plant that spits that thing out and the guys that produce it know all the answers and have got everything figured out, I promise you that is not <laughs> true. Farm equipment companies are people, Greg, just like you and I. They make good decisions, Greg. They make bad decisions. Right, right. Um, um, it's just life. We're human. I cannot. Yes, yes. And um, 
the transition out of the orange tractor could have been handled a whole lot better. Mm-hmm. But uh, its fate was probably inevitable as, as the farm equipment uh, uh, evolves. And the loyalties that people have, If uh, you made the statement, I believe, that as you travel around, the Alice guys are some of the most loyal mm-hmm. people and adamant people about their product line, Always have been, uh, yeah. more so than any other brand. Yeah, that's, I've and, seen it for years. Yes, and like I said, it's a dedication to an engineering technology and uh, heritage where Alice holds some of the highest patents and uh, a lot of the innovations that happened in farming. They were right there on the scene with no-till farming, uh, invented the first no-till culture. Uh, at one time, had 80% of the market share of no-till planters. Uh, it was an innovative company that went for technology. Unfortunately, their sales never caught up with their technology mm-hmm. in most cases. And you ask, people ask, you know, what would you have done? I said, well, I would have left the orange Agco tractor in and said, hey, look, you know, it's the same as the Yellow Challenger. It's the same as the Massey. Mm-hmm. Um, there are more Massey dealers than there are Agco dealers. Or, um, you know, we'll leave it in the price book. If you want to order it, there it is. That's how I would have done it. But guess what? I'm not the, I'm not running the company, and it's probably a good thing I'm not, I'll tell you. Mm-hmm. But um, no. if you ask how it was, yeah, there was a part of me that I felt like uh, was that I, that I lost. But on the other hand, the people are there, Greg. The people are still there. There's right. still a lot of good old Alice people right. that are there in Agco, and they keep the, the line alive and keep uh, the heritage alive. And uh, some of the products that they built were so well built that they'll be around for many more generations serving the farmers in, in North America. Right. Well, it was interesting. I mentioned yesterday I posted a picture of a 7080 for sale by owner up here in Minnesota. And I think there were 98 comments on the Facebook post just last night. And the number of them talked about the quality of, you know, I think the guy had 8,500 hours on it. Then he, he, he re overall the engine, but so many people were talking about built to last, built to last. It was really interesting. Mm -hmm. Now, They had a few miscues down the road. When they came out with that 7080 tractor, there was a guy named Carl Stevens. And I don't know if you've ever seen the commercial or not. They had a group of railroad train uh, cars, railroad cars, and the 7080 was pulling it over this super high trestle track over this ravine. And they had put really narrow tires on it and scooted it in and uh, I asked Carl, I said, uh, how was it making that commercial? He said, there is a pucker in that seat. <laughs> it will be there forever. <laughs> That's but he, awesome. said it, he said it was no problem pulling those railroad cars. He said stopping them, that was a different story. <laughs> I would imagine. Okay, now, Tim, well, we're talking Alice history. I mean, we'd be remiss if we didn't dive into the Gleaner angle here. Why don't you? Why don't you just... Talk us through your your thoughts on the Gleaner brand and how 
Uh, I think one of your friends was involved with uh, sort of saving the line back in the day. Is that right? Yes. Um, cleaner started out, as we said, in 1923. Um, according to some of the competition, uh, no matter who you talk to, all the other companies invented the self-propelled combine. But mm-hmm. I don't think anybody um, goes back further than a 1923 model built on a Fordson tractor. But Gleaner had a unique design in uh, combines that um, was a down front cylinder. The cylinder was right behind the header. All the other processors had the cylinder up in the middle. That was the feature, and of course, it was galvanized. Yep. And it was built on a tr- it was built on a truck frame. So that led up into the Alice Chalmers purchase in 1955 of the Gleaner, and it became Alice Chalmers Gleaner, and they dropped the Baldwin name off of it, and it just became Gleaner. Mm-hmm. Now, the product uh, evolved and went through lots of different models into the, the, when the numbers really started shooting up, they had the K, the F, the G, the L, the M, mm-hmm. uh, the L being the largest. And they went up until they started into the Rotary Series. Yep. Now, the Rotary Series started there again, really in the 80s. And it was, they brought out a new product that um, was really designed, and it was a great wheat machine. It didn't do so well uh, at green stem soybeans. But um, there was a guy named Moeller Ag, Dave Moeller, who started modifying the processors and really gave the unit a new life and there was lots of n-series sold and for the the guy that uh, replaced the l with an n-series they got a better grain sample they got um, uh, better thrashing uh, less loss uh, all kind of good things went along with it but the n-series um, was improved and then changed over to the r-series and the r-series um turned in the R60s and the R62s, and then, the, uh, of course, the 65, right. 66, and all the way up into the Super Series today. Well, the, the product, again, had a, a problem, as did all combines. Uh, you remember Case has the specialty rotor mm-hmm. that uh, they had to put in in order to harvest green stem soybeans during that time. Well, I was at a dealer panel meeting in uh, Atlanta and one of the, Tom Hurt from Hoople, North Dakota asked me, he said, you sell any gleaners? I said, nah, I said, it's, they've just about given up on them. And he said, well, what's the problem? And I said, well, they don't do too well in green stem soybeans and now then with the advent of Roundup and some of these Roundup ready beans, they're really tough. And he said, oh man, you gotta talk to my brother, he can fix that problem. Hmm. And so I got to be acquainted with Dan Hurt. And Dan uh, was a brilliant, uh, he, he was a, a service manager at Hurt Implements and it's uh, now become Butler. Mm-hmm. And Dan was brilliant in taking the Gleaner Combine and in canola and hard to thrash crops, green stem soybeans, finding where the bottleneck was and doing field fixes. And if the company, they can't, a company can't just listen to one man and say, 
we'll change our entire production line. A company has liabilities, and you got to go through different tests. They could not react as quick as Tom could, and Tom sure. would machine stuff out, different cylinder bars, different configurations, and he would find where the bottlenecks were, and he would make changes. And our our um, harvest season's ahead of his, and a lot of times he would say, "Try this," and it, it would just be fantastic the difference. So. It got us enthused about it, and we started putting out on a website. Um, they had uh, Marvin Gordon had a www.harvesting.com, and they allowed us to piggyback off of it. And all of a sudden, the phone started ringing off the wall. What are you doing to make this thing work? What are you doing? What, what modifications? And mm. we would stay on the on the phone hours and hours every week, explaining people all the way from Canada to. California, what we were doing, and I don't know how I got involved with it, other than I talked too much. <laughs> but they, uh, Dan, Dan, Dan was doing all the work, and I was doing all the talking. But uh, we worked together, and we uh, got the throughput of the gleaner up maybe fifty percent over stock, and then. Then uh, we combated uh, cylinder loss with uh, retarders that didn't take horsepower. And um, and everything that Dan had come up with just about in the field was standard a few years later on the cleaner mm, sure, combines. Sure. Wow. And, and they, we, had some, we had some guys at the plant that worked with us really close. And we always had to work around engineering because... Sure. Um, you can understand, Greg, that the company just can't. Uh, if if right. you let everybody run your company, you you'll come up with a mess. So they right. had to be methodical in what they did. Right. And a lot of customers got, you know, said, you know, why don't you do this and do that? And they eventually did, but it just takes a company. They, they've got a lot, a lot of abilities. They right. can't react as quick as a, as a dealer's service manager can. Right. So um, as a result. Uh, we came out, we even had decals made up, the Hyper Harvest Edition, and it mm. had uh, Molar Ag and Hurt and B&G, and there's a lot of combines around, well, I don't know how many are still running, but uh, we've got uh, Hyper Harvest Edition decals. Hyper Harvest. I don't think the company. I need to find. Yeah, Hyper Harvest Edition. This is going to be one of my goals, Tim, to find, to, to, to eyeball one of those. That would, yeah. that would be fun. You find one and take a. Come up, I, you take a picture and send okay. it to me. That would be awesome. Now, uh, Tim. We'll, we'll see what we can do. Now, Tim, man, this conversation has been so much fun. There's one more little thing you set me up with this tidbit. Now, I've been a country music fan a long time. I just watched Ken Burns' PBS uh, country music special, but you actually know and worked with Alice Chalmers. Worked with Loretta Lynn. Is that correct? The coal miner's daughter. Manager 
here at BNG Equipment with Austin Equipment, and he got. Uh, this was seventy. And this was seventy-seven or eight. Seventy. I'm straining here. This was seventy-seven, I believe. Seventy-six. Let's say seventy-six. Okay. When this got started, okay. and then in seventy-seven, um, Harry Lusk flew down, and Jim Austin was the dealer principal. He had a lot of dealerships in West Tennessee, and they met. And they had a handshake agreement, and they started putting tractors down here in 77. Uh, I still have a 7040 that came off of the Dude Ranch after it was exchanged out. So they, uh, this was a year prior to when we came here, or actually two years because we came in late in 78. Yeah. So they were shipping the tractors over there. They were using them to farm. And, and this again is dealers, this they is were setting up, this is Loretta Lynn's Dude Ranch. This is Loretta Lynn's Dude Ranch. Mooney really liked to call it Loretta Lynn Farms, but okay. <laughs> it was uh, it, it was the same deal. So they lived there at the big house at this time, and they had some uh, machinery sheds around, and all of the Alice Chalmers equipment began proliferating, and all the neighbors were abuzz. And Mooney started farming, and Ray May became the farm manager. Now, eventually they had one of everything that Alice Chalmers built in the farm equipment line over there. Mm. And I was I mentioned the name John Johansson. John Johansson came as president, and he got a visit from some of the auditors from Alice Chalmers. And they said, where are these equipment pieces going to? And what's going on? And John said, well, they're at um, Looney and Loretta Lynn's farm in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Well, the auditors, they just started going into conniption fits. <laughs> they got millions of dollars of equipment out. Mm -hmm. Nobody's assigned to it. Nobody's responsible for it. So they had to fly down and sign a formal agreement with Mooney and uh, Miss Loretta to set up the groundwork for the equipment. And sure. of course, then all it had to be audited and, and everything. So uh, that was one of the things that uh, was quite funny mm. with Mr. John Johansson. He, as he was talking to me, he said, yeah, the auditors just about could have gotten me fired over this and I really had nothing to do with it but well. he uh, it was kind of uh, he inherited it so now part of the agreement was that they would set aside so much land for Alice Chalmers to use in demonstrations Okay. and down through the years into the, uh, from the late 70s to the early 80s uh, Alice Chalmers would bring customers and farmers into the Loretta Lynn Farms, and they would have field days and training days, and it was not a, a test farm or anything. Mm -hmm. It was um, they didn't they didn't run any prototypes, or they may have had some few odds and ends, but their real test was out at uh, at uh, Arizona. Marvin Pribble was head of that, but anyway, um, they also Loretta. 
Loretta would do a concert or two a year for uh, wow. the use of the equipment. So it wasn't given to them free and clear. They had some sure. obligations. They had to give up so many acres of land, and Loretta had to agree to do uh, some concerts, which she freely did. Mm-hmm. And one of the best ones they did, I think, was down in Orlando. And one of the heads of the Dude Ranch was Lynn Schreiber, and him and Mooney got to be very, very good friends. And they would ride around in this Jeep, uh, much like the Dukes of Hazard, <laughs> all over the farm. Wow. But she was in a, Loretta was in a concert in Orlando, mm-hmm. and they presented her with a shotgun. And uh, she said, oh, it's a beautiful shotgun. It's a beautiful shotgun. And Mooney, uh, I don't know if he is on stage or not, but Lynn Shriver said, now be careful, it's loaded. She said, oh, no. And she pulled the trigger, and they had a blank in it, and the gun oh. went off. Oh. And, of course, everybody everybody was just, uh, you know, kind of stunned there for a minute. And all of a sudden, this big deer fell down from the rafters. <laughs> it was, the place just went wild, you know. <laughs> oh, where's, we need video so, on that. That's, she, that's awesome. She had shot the John, she had shot the John Deere. So Hello, there are lots of stories oh. like that. And uh, Miss awesome. Loretta is, is a saint. Um, if you've ever seen the movie The Coal Miner's Daughter, it's right. pretty much right on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had experience one time that she was, they moved from the big house, they turned it into a museum, and they went over to the pool house. And they had built a pool house over there, and they were staying in that. And she was actually over there with some polishing compounds, polishing out a scratch in a stainless steel sink. Mm-hmm. And Steve and I were over there. And she said, well, let me show you the house. And then when she got through, she said, now these are the French doors. They're not the ones that I wanted. She said, I wanted double opening French doors, but they just let me have the single opening. And she looked, and just as serious as she could be, she said, you know, that's the story of my life. She said, I get what other people want me to have, not what I want to have. Mm. And, you know, that was uh, kind of a candid quote that uh, that we had. We sat down and did a, about an hour, like we're doing now, talk with her. Mm-hmm. And I had it all on tape. And the radio company, we made, she did some commercials for us. Sure. And it was on a long-running reel-to-reel tape. Mm-hmm. And I went to get it to preserve it for posterity. Yeah. And the radio company had erased it. They had oh. erased it. No. <laughs> oh, I was fit to be. I was oh. fit to be tied. Well, I tell you, Tim. We had some good times with with Mooney and Loretta, and it was a shame that uh, Mooney's Mooney's life was cut short, and he got to where he wasn't able to get around. But mm. I've got lots of Mooney Land stories. Now, where is their dude ranch? <laughs> he, called up, he called me up one morning. He called me up one morning at four o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, yeah. and I did not know who it was. Yeah. And he talked real rough. He, he said, "My tractor got her water." I said, "What?" He said, "My tractor got her I said, "Who is this?" Moody, Moody Lynn. I said, oh, "Okay, I'm awake now. What happened?" He said, "My tractor took a drink of water." And I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Well, they missed the creek crossing, and they had an 8550, and they stuck the nose underwater, and it sucked in water and blew the heads off the tractor a week before they were supposed to have a big show over there. So." Um, it was something like that just about every day. <laughs> wow. 
And where, where is the Dude Ranch? Is it close to your dealership in Paris, Tennessee, Tim? It's about an hour and 15 minutes away. Okay. Uh, the, Loretta Lynn, the Loretta Lynn Dude Ranch is off of Highway 13, uh, I-40 at Buffalo, and go north, or you can come down from Waverly, Tennessee, and head south. It's on I-13. Okay. It's at the big country junction of Hurricane Mills, Tennessee. Hurricane Mills, Tennessee. Sounds like someplace I need to get to yes, sometime. It's, a, it's about an hour from uh, Nashville. Um, about an hour from Nashville, and like I said, about an hour and 15 minutes from here. Well, Tim, I, this has been so much fun. I could talk to you all day. I knew when I met you at the Murray State Ag, Ag event that this was going to be really fun. Thank you for sharing uh, some of your history. Now, we're going to have to have you back on, Tim. Because I do want to ask you more about the Alice Chalmers Proving Grounds and hear some of those stories. Yes. But now, your dealership, B&G Equipment Incorporated in Paris, Tennessee, uh, What if folks want information or get a hold of you, uh, check out your equipment for sale, what is your website there, Tim? bgequip.net I think that's what I saw yeah it's good stuff Tim thank you for sharing your your passion and your history the story of Alice Chalmers and Aiko so much fun and uh I understand now you you mentioned this I think uh I think our listeners would agree you you've been called the Forrest Gump of Alice Chalmers equipment information Somebody said you're just like Ford, Forrest Gump. You, you were were there when the, all this stuff happened. They said. Um, I love. Uh, it. I matter of fact, it. you remind me a whole lot of Forrest Gump. They said you're just a little slow. Well, <laughs> Forrest Gump, one of my all-time favorite movies, and like I said, I've been in the biz thirty years tracking it. The opportunity to listen to these stories, Tim, just priceless, just priceless. So thank you again so much for for sharing, and uh, we will talk again soon. Okay, Greg, and we uh, certainly appreciate what you do. Uh, some of the uh, enlightenment that you have gives us a better standing, understanding of farm equipment and its history, and uh, maybe its uh, present state uh, and values, and certainly, hopefully, into the future. And I wish you the best of luck, and I look forward to talking to you again. Remember, when you look at a piece of equipment there's a lot of people behind it there's not a machine that pumps this stuff out right and it's sold and serviced and it's sold and serviced and it's most important link to you is your local dealer right absolutely that's uh that's what it's always been about and will always be about that's what i love about the farm equipment business and again getting to know guys like you tim just an honor so we will talk again soon buddy We plant corn in Iowa, spray soybeans in Illinois. We pull calves in Kansas, farrow hogs in Minnesota. We raise rice in Arkansas, rye in Canada, and wheat everywhere in between. We We farm farm millions of acres across across North North America America and build every piece of Case IH equipment. Built by farmers for farmers. Case IH. Rethink productivity. Well, folks. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with my friend Tim Brandon. I tell you, I could have 
listen to Tim all day about Alice, Aco, uh, the history, uh, innovations, the little wrinkles, why things were successful, why they weren't gleaner. Just amazing. So again, huge thanks to Tim for sharing his time. He's a busy guy. Again, check out their website. Uh, Tim is the owner of B&G Equipment Incorporated in Paris, Tennessee, Agco Massey dealer down there. It's uh, bgequip.net, bgequip.net. Check it out. Uh, give Tim a call, super guy. And again, thank you for joining us this week on podcast number 15 here, our Machine Repeat podcast. We really, truly appreciate you guys sharing your time. And if you could do me a favor, uh, what helps other people find this podcast is if you can give it a rating, give it a like and a rating and click subscribe. Uh, that helps other people find the podcasts that are into farming, agriculture, tractors. Uh, so again, thanks for stopping by. And until next time, folks, remember now, every day is a gift and a blessing.